Hello. Good morning, everyone. Like Paul said, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Thomas, and I am one of the church's family pastors here. Ellie is our other family's our other family pastor, and she's also my partner in everything from marriage to pickleball. If there's any pickleballers out here. Um, uh, and we have a specific passion for family discipleship. Our primary uh, focus at the church is caring for families with kids, youth, and young adults, but we love to talk about uh, and help parents disciple their kids. And if we have met before and you think I might not remember your name, feel free to just come and meet me all over again. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at some passages that the kids and youth in the church have been going over these past couple weeks. But first, uh, I just want to take a minute and let you know, just share a little bit about how the church's youngest disciples are actually doing, because it's very exciting to see how the faith of our church's young people is growing right now. The kids in this church, they ask amazing questions, and they are understanding the things they're hearing in kids' church. We just started some new preteen nights, and they've been so fun. And these preteens, grades five through seven, they've been engaging in some great discussion about scripture. And it's all being led by teen students here at the church. And then talking to our youth group recently about how I don't drink coffee or you know, really eat chocolate, they did something unbelievable. Uh, first, I just have to be honest with all you coffee drinkers and say that I did jokingly tell them that it was because I'm too pure for coffee. Okay, all right, okay. but when I did say that, they all started calling me a Pharisee. And you know, I say this to illustrate, I tell you this to illustrate that they are understanding biblical narratives and they are acquiring the language to have a Bible-rich sense of humor. Uh, you know, on top of that, they're, they're really just fun to be around. Um, and all these groups, kids, youth, and young adults at the church, they're all growing in their faith, uh, but they're also in a place where they're ready for more. They want to go deeper. So please pray for them. Continue to pray for them. As you see youth and young adults in the lobby after church, introduce yourself to some of them and their families, because believe it or not, these youth and young adults, they need your fellowship as well for some of you older believers some of you more mature believers excuse me and go ahead and fill out a volunteer form uh, if you feel like god might be calling you to be a part of what's going on with the young people at the church in some way because they need that too so let's try and keep up with these kids and teens and what they've been hearing and if you're able please stand with me as we read god's word so I'm first going to read one of the recent memory verses for both kids' church and youth group, and that's John 13, 13. Then we'll read the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. So first, John 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Thanks be to God. Feel free to have a seat. So this morning, we're going to talk about the disciples' description of Jesus as teacher and Lord. So starting from John 13, to give you some context about what's happening when Jesus says these words, Jesus is teaching the disciples a lesson on humbly serving one another by washing his followers' feet. And while he's explaining the significance of this act, he accepts the disciples' description of him as teacher and Lord, saying in John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So this morning, I'd like to stay on this topic, how Jesus is our teacher and Lord. Emphasis on the end, because Jesus is not only our teacher, but also our Lord. And this week, you know, as I've been preparing, because I'm, I'm just not a normal person, guys. I'm just very strange. I kept saying this one phrase to Ellie, not my landlord, but my andlord. Uh, and I feel like it really helped me. It just really stuck with me. Every, every, I don't know how many times I said it to her this week. Not my landlord, but my andlord, because he's not just our teacher, but our andlord. And one story we've gone over recently in kids' church and at youth to illustrate how Jesus is both teacher and Lord is the story of the rich young ruler. I'm sure he didn't actually have a, a Porsche and uh, a house that looked exactly like this, but, you know, use your imaginations. Um, so we're going to walk through it. It's in Mark chapter 10, and it starts at verse 17, when a wealthy younger man of high status falls on his knees and asks Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. Jesus gives him a super simple answer in verse 19. He basically says, dude, you already know the commandments, and he lists off a few of them saying, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the rich young ruler replies, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've been doing this stuff. And what we're about to find out is that Jesus doesn't just look at someone's actions, but he looks at their heart. Those of us who have been following Jesus for some time already understand that Jesus doesn't just long for outward obedience, but he longs for a heart that loves him and wants to obey. But Jesus, you know, by naming some of these commandments, he does affirm that obeying these laws will set someone on the right path to gaining eternal life. And on the other hand, this man who was already very familiar with the Ten Commandments, he says he's been obeying the commandments, at least outwardly, his entire life. But even though he has been obeying these commandments, he still feels the need to ask, how do I gain eternal life? It's actually very insightful. He can still feel that there's got to be more to this than just my outward obedience. Jesus, knowing his heart, looks at him with love in verse 21 and tells him, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This feels a little bit like a be careful what you wish for sort of deal. 
uh, you know, with this feeling of lacking, this man seeking real answers about gaining eternal life. And Jesus, he gives him the answer. He points out to him the one area where his lacking comes from is that, ironically, the one area in which he's probably never lacked. It's his riches. The part of his life that allows him to feel the most comfort is the part that's in the way of his relationship with God. And the end of this interaction, it's, it's such a bummer. It's a super sad verse. In contrast to all the stories of people meeting Jesus, accepting him as teacher and Lord, and experiencing real life change, in verse 22, it says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus is our teacher and Lord. Now, if you ask kids and teens in our church what a teacher is, this is what they will tell you. Very simply, it's someone who teaches you things and someone you learn from. I think that's a pretty good description. Jesus proclaimed and he instructed. He taught people about the kingdom of God and he taught them how to live out their faith. And he loves to teach us. At the beginning of Mark chapter 10, it says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. In the years of his earthly ministry, he had a pattern of teaching. It was his custom. He did it regularly. Jesus' life shows that God wants to impart wisdom. He willfully gives us everything that we need to live for him. James 1, uh, 5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. This rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, recognizing him as the good teacher. And he longs for Jesus to help him follow God more fully. He is ready to hear Jesus' teaching and instruction. But Jesus knows his heart and speaks to him, not only as his teacher, but as his Lord too. Not my landlord, but my and Lord. Now, if you ask kids and youth at the church what Lord means, these are some of the things they'll tell you. They'll tell you, it's someone who owns land, right? It makes me think old, said one student. It's someone who rules uh, like a king or leader. God, a lot of people said God and someone you obey. Not too shabby, right? You know, in Scripture, the word Lord here is referring to the God of Israel, and God is to be obeyed. He's sovereign, and he rules over everything. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus right off the bat, he submits to Jesus as a religious teacher with wisdom and good instruction for his life. But as the story progresses, it's made clear that he is not ready to submit to Jesus as Lord. This young man is ready to learn, but he's not ready to obey. There's one thing in the way of his discipleship, and it's the one thing he's prioritizing over his relationship with God. And in this case, above his own eternity. It's like being in a on a life raft, and you're with all your possessions, and you're sinking, and the only way to save yourself is to separate yourself from those possessions, but you're too attached. You're too attached for your own salvation. And if you're here this morning and you're young and you're rich, please don't feel judged by me. Don't feel called out right now. The requirements for following Jesus, they apply to everyone. 
And they're made clear in the Gospels when Jesus tells his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So even though Jesus is talking about riches in this portion of Scripture, saying in verse 23 that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus doesn't outright condemn money or having money. But understanding the human condition better than any of us could, he recognizes it as something that we are prone to put our trust in. Uh, you know, above putting our trust in God. But there are lots of other things that you can put your trust in besides God. And discipleship requires us to deny ourselves and the things we ultimately put our trust in besides God, whatever that looks like. Just look at the example of the first men Jesus calls to be his disciples, who cast down their fishing nets, their primary source of income, to follow Jesus and his calling. So if you obey Jesus outwardly, even if you obey him outwardly, checking off all the boxes, if your riches, relationships, reputation, or recreation get in the way of your relationship with God, Jesus basically says, hey, this heart ain't big enough for the both of us, right? You got to deny yourself if you want to ride with me. And if you ask kids or teens at Oceanside what an idol is, they'll tell you things like something that gets in the way of worshiping God. It gets in your way of worshiping God. Something that you give your worship and sacrifice to instead of God. And a couple examples they gave were video games and, uh, you know, my Lego sets, one student said. Those are some of the things they thought might be idols for them. Sometimes our lacking can be rooted in other things, just like these kids understood. When I first became a Christian, um, you know, music was a huge part of my life. You know, it's how I processed a lot of my emotions. I listened to all kinds of music. I spent hours a day seeking music on LimeWire. I'm embarrassed to say that I did download a lot of illegal music on LimeWire. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and, you know, when I became a Christian, I felt like there was just one thing getting in the way, one thing standing in the way of me going deeper with Jesus, and that was the media I was taken in right? The kind of music I was listening to, how much I was listening to music. So I decided, you know, I felt like God wanted me to step away from that. So for one year, I said, I'm only going to listen to worship music for this one year. And it was super challenging because, like I said, I love music. It's something that I cling to, to help me get through hard times. But Jesus wanted me to cling to him instead to get through those hard times. But sometimes, like the rich young ruler, we look at Jesus as just a teacher, but we don't feel compelled to obey him to the point of giving up our treasures to be close to him. But the difference between living a moral life and receiving eternal life is the difference between seeing Jesus as just a teacher and seeing him as your and Lord. Not my landlord, but my and Lord. To submit to him and obey him as Lord is not easy. To accept him as Lord over our entire life is not easy. In fact, in Mark 10, verse 27, while Jesus is debriefing with his disciples after meeting this rich young ruler, 
he says that to enter the kingdom of heaven is actually impossible by man alone. But it's not with God. He says, for all things are possible with God. Christ died in our place and rose again, defeating the death we deserved. And all we need to do is accept that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. Christ, he asks us to trust him, lay it all down and follow him. So we're actually going to, in response to this text, we're going to sing together, asking God to lead us as we try to trust him and obey him as our teacher and Lord. Then we're going to take communion together to remember how Jesus made it possible for us to inherit eternal life. But before we sing, we're going to just take a minute to reflect. I have some questions for you to consider. Have you accepted Jesus as both teacher and Lord? Is there something other than God you've been putting your trust in? And is there something you feel like he's calling you to surrender or do? So it's totally between you and God. But if you would just pray and reflect with me for a moment, then we're going to worship him together with this one last song.